see so many of you watching online. Hey, uh, I'm super excited to bring this uh, final and last installment of, it's the, oh no, we've got one more week, but I'm excited about today's message. So everything we've talked about today in this sermon series, it's the end of the world as we know it, has been leading up to this point. Everything else has been, you know, side issues. I mean, yeah, I, it's great stuff, but it's been like, it's not really what I wanted to talk about. What I really wanted to talk about today is today's message. And so the past two weeks was just to get you ready for what I'm going to share today, because what I want to share today is things that I've seen in the Word of God that reveal something about God's heart regarding the end times. And so that's, man, that's just good stuff. You know, I hope, I hope, you know, part of, part of my intention last week, I threw out all that information, part of my intention last week was just to give you so much information and to kind of like stir you up and mess up your theology so that you'd go home and you'd read your word and you'd be like, Did, it's, wait a minute, is what Pastor Matt said real? Wait a minute. Let me, let me check that out. What did he say? I hope that I provoked some of you. I hope that some of you at least picked up your word and read a little bit more. The word is powerful. It is a sharp and two-edged sword, and it cuts and it divides, bone from the marrow. Come on. Listen. John 15 says this. It says, uh, my, it says, I am the vine. You are the branches. My father is the vine dresser, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That's John 15, 1, right? John 15, 2 says this, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Maybe you guys missed it, okay? Nobody's like, wow. I mean, this is good stuff. Wait, pruning's painful, right? Can we say that? Any branch in me that bears fruit, I prune that it might bear more fruit. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, I remove, right? And so the difference between pruning and removing is like this much. But what he said to the disciples is, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. This is the word that's been spoken to us. How many of us want to avoid pruning? How many? <laughs> come on, no, wait. How many of us want to avoid pruning? This is, a, this is an audience participation. If you want to avoid pruning, raise your hand. Pruning is, thank you. Pruning is not comfortable. Nobody wants to be pruned. If you don't put your hand up, then you don't understand. You don't, so we all put our hand up. Nobody wants to be pruned. How do we avoid pruning? You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Read the word. You know, there's a, there's a sermon series coming. I just actually put it on the, on the preaching calendar. There's a sermon series coming. It's going to be called Scripture Impossible. Uh, that's the title right there. Mission Impossible, Scripture Impossible. There are scriptures in this book that we, I don't know, maybe we'll never walk them out perfectly. Think no evil. There's one. Just off the top of my head. How many of us think no evil 100% of the time all throughout the day? That's an impossible scripture. But it's those types of scriptures, it's the word that Jesus spoke that cleans us. Yeah. Whew, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. All right, let's jump right in. Let's go. Let's get there. Acts 1. You could argue with me, this probably isn't an end time scripture, but it reveals something about God, and I think it reveals something about the end times to us. Okay, and so I'm going to read from verse 1, I think, through it's verse 8 or 9. 
The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that I began, of all that Jesus began to both do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. All right, so here's the first thing. Notice I underline that. Here Jesus shows up to his disciples, and he's teaching them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. And so if you guys showed up here at church every day, and I taught about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, right? At the end of it, at the end of 40 days, what would you guys say? Right? If, if I was teaching one and then the other and then the other and then the other, you guys would start to be like all stirred up about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, right? And so then somebody would, act, somebody would come up and be like, well, I think it's this or I think it's that or it's this or it's that. Or, or we'd kind of come to some kind of a general conclusion, right? 40 days. And so Jesus is speaking to them about the kingdom of God for 40 days. Next verse. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise from the Father, which he had said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> Did you catch what happened? Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, does that mean you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Kingdom of God, spiritual kingdom. Kingdom of Israel, natural kingdom. They got it confused. Jesus is teaching about the kingdom for 40 days. This is a perfectly logical question that the disciples are asking. You would have asked the same question. Jesus is not going to talk to you for 40 days about the kingdom, and you're not going to have questions about the kingdom. This is a perfect question. And so what's interesting to me here is that a lot of times in the Gospels, Jesus rebukes the disciples. He, he, he uh, corrects them sharply. But here his answer is a little different. He says, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which my father had put into his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and into the ends of the earth. And so imagine if you will, right? We finish up the series next week on it's the end of the world as we know it, and you come up and you're like, so Pastor Matt, is it mid-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial? What is it? No, listen, it doesn't even matter. Jesus would say, you know, what if we asked Jesus, what if, what if the disciples at this point had the, the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial argument in their pocket, and they could ask Jesus and say, Jesus, which one is it? Right? Rather than asking about the kingdom of Israel, they're asking, Jesus, which one is it? And Jesus would say, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which my father put into his own hands. Listen, it doesn't even matter. I spoke to you all about this last week. It doesn't matter whether it's pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, no-trib, right? The same God that can take me out before the tribulation can take me through the tribulation. Yeah. 
Same, same deal. Listen, whether I get taken up and, and there's a millennial kingdom to follow or whether there's not, it doesn't matter. Jesus is coming in an hour when we least expect it. That we know for sure. That's like 12 to 15 times in your Bible. It's all over the place. You can't read it without knowing, without seeing that Jesus is coming back when you least expect it. He's given us signs that we might know that it's coming, but we will always be surprised by it. That we can be sure. And so we fall back to the very first thing I told you when we started this series. Live like Jesus is coming back today and plan like he's not coming back for 50 years. It's the best advice we'll have. It's, it's, it, it's a shame when the church puts more faith in Jesus' return than they put in the power of Jesus here on the earth today. It's a shame when the church puts more faith in Jesus' return than they do in his power here on the earth today. What did Jesus say? He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power of the Holy Spirit is upon you. It's in you. It's all around you. And it's there for a purpose. It's there that we might bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. This is our mandate. This is our mission. Matthew 6. It's we, so that we could be witnesses of what Jesus has done, that we could be witnesses of his peace, that we could be witnesses of his joy, that we could be witnesses of his power to all of the earth, to everyone we meet. God's given us power. Don't be so worried. Don't be so concerned about Jesus' return. You won't miss it. The same way you won't miss a lightning strike, right? Lightning goes off, you jump. You're like, what the heck? When Jesus, is re when Jesus returns, you're going to be like, what the heck? And then you're going to just start to float up into the sky, as long as you know Christ. It's exactly the way it's going to happen. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I love that. I love that portion of Scripture. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. I, man, there's just so many good end-time scriptures, and they don't even fall into all of the, the junk that we try to talk about, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, all of that, right? Listen to this, Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, the church, his wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints." Church, there's going to be a wedding. There's going to be a wedding. The marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. We are going to marry Jesus. I have no idea what that looks like. I can't wrap my mind around it. But I know, I know this. I know that when you're married, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And me and my wife share this all the time. We say what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. What's Jesus is ours and what's mine is his. And listen, this is, we sang this in the song. He takes that from us, which is worthless, and he gives us that from him, which is priceless. 
He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. Come on. I get excited over this stuff. This is exciting stuff. This is glorious. We should be just amazed at God's love over this. If you're not amazed at God's love over this, go read another scripture. Oh, Lord. There's a, there's a song by Misty Edwards. It's entitled The Harlot. And maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. It's a 30-minute long song. I'm not going to... Uh, I'll just quickly summarize. It's about, the, it's about the scene in the Bible where they drag the woman who's been caught in adultery and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And in the song, she goes into this vision while she's there on the ground and she's in the throne room of heaven and she sees everything that she will miss out on because she lived a sinful lifestyle. And in the moment where she's supposed to drink the cup of wrath that's been reserved for her because of the sins that she's committed, this is all in the song. It's a it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not scripture at this point, okay, guys? At when, she, when she sees the cup of wrath that she's supposed to drink, the drink that God's reserved for her because of her sinful lifestyle, she sees it, and she knows she'll never partake of heaven. And then just in a moment, Jesus grabs the cup, and he drinks the cup of the Father's wrath. And then Jesus says, what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. We enter into the beautiful estate of heaven, though we don't deserve it, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Jesus drinks the cup of wrath that's reserved for you and I from the Father. Jesus. It's amazing. If you want to go listen to the song, there's going to be a wedding. I just can't not smile when I say that. And this just reveals the heart of the Father. And he wants us with him. And he doesn't just want us with him the way we want our kids to come over and have dinner and then leave. He wants, <laughs> right? We all want that, right? We, we want to we hang out with people, but then we want them to go. No, he wants to be married to us. It's a much deeper, it's a much more intimate relationship. He doesn't ever want us to go. He wants to know the deepest things in our heart and he wants to share the deepest things in his heart with us. Okay, we got to keep going. Revelation chapters 4 and 5. I can't read it because we're, we're just, I've got a couple more scriptures I want to get to. But this is an awesome, beautiful picture of the throne room of heaven. And so Revelation chapter 4 and 5 are going to set, where they're going to set the, the, the scene for my next scripture, okay? And so what we have to know is that there's four, pick up in verse seven, the, the living creatures, uh, the living creatures around the throne, each of them having six wings and they're full of, and they do not rest day or night singing, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who lives forever and ever and ever, the 24 elders cast their crowns before the throne and they sing, Worthy, you are worthy, O God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And so the four, and tw the four living creatures never stop singing, Holy, holy, holy. And every time the living creatures sing, Holy, 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 the four and 20 elders respond and they sing, You are worthy, O God. And so, Holy, holy, holy. You are worthy. Holy, 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 you are worthy. Holy, 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 you are worthy. And this song goes on and on and on and on and on and on, and it never ends. 
It's been sung, as far as we can tell, for all eternity dateless past. As far as we can look back and see in the recorded history of time, there has been, their song has been sung before the throne of God. This is why we sing. This is why there's been so many versions of the song. Holy, holy, holy. Right? That was the beat back in my day. I don't know what it is today, but there was a beat before that. Holy, holy. I think that was another one. It just keeps coming up because it's the song of heaven. And we want to join with the song of heaven. And we do. And so for all eternity, dateless past, there's been a song. And then there comes the scroll. And John says, and I wept much because no one could open the scroll. And the angel came and said, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. And he can open the scroll and loose its seals. And so when he had taken the scroll... They sang a new song. But I don't know the timeline of heaven. I don't know the timeline of heaven. There is a timeline in heaven. But it says that a day, a day is to the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And so our timeline and their timeline could be messed up. I wonder when is it the day that Jesus takes the scroll and the song changes from holy, holy, holy to you are worthy to... to you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood and out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests who are God and we shall reign upon the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits upon the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Whew. Come on. You ever just want to get pumped up? Just pick out, pull out Revelation chapter 5 and read the, read the songs. 4 and 5, read the songs. Just sing the songs. Just recite them out loud. Go for it. And so Jesus starts to open up the scrolls. Right? And with every, uh, I'm sorry, he starts to open up the seals. And with every one of the seals, there's another sign in the earth. He opens up the first seal, there's a sign in the earth. Second seal, there's another sign in the earth. Third seal, fourth seal, fifth seal, sign, sign, sign. He opens up the sixth seal, sign. He opens up the seventh seal. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when he opened up the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And so understand this. There's never been a lack of music in heaven. The worship that we sing here on a Sunday morning is a small fraction of what we're going to hear when we make it to heaven. And that has gone on continually forever and ever and ever. And there has never been silence in heaven. The song has been sung and sung and sung again. And I don't know when Jesus takes that scroll. I don't know how the timeline of heaven lines up with our timeline. Is there time in heaven? Well, there's silence for a half an hour, so there must be time in heaven. I don't know. <laughs> but what's interesting is that there's silence. It all goes quiet. And so I read a book one time, and it trivialized. It didn't trivialize. It, it sought to interpret this scripture. And so I was... Searching after end times, this is probably about 15 years ago or more. I was searching about end times, and I was kind of, you know, figuring out where I believe. And I'd kind of lined up with post-trib 
and you know more of the either a millennial or something like that. I wasn't really sure on the millennial kingdom that, and uh, and so. I, I went into Pastor Tom's office. We were about to leave for Florida because we used to go there for a while. And uh, we were about to leave for Florida. And I wanted a book that talked about pre-trib because I was pretty convinced at that point that it was post-trib. But I wanted, I wanted to read the opposing view, right? I always want to read the opposing view. I want to know both sides. Whoever tells, their, whoever tells their story first appears to be right, Proverbs says. And so if I only ever take in post-trib, then I'll believe post-trib wholeheartedly because there's no conflicting... Uh, side, but I want to know both sides. And so I went in search of uh, a book that was pre-trib. And so I found, I, I said, Pastor Tom, do you have any books? And he said, check my shelf. And so I started reading through the titles and I picked up a book and it was entitled Pre-Wrath Rapture Position Explained. And I thought, okay, sounds good. Pre, right? I'll take this one. Only it wasn't pre-trib, it was pre-wrath. And so what he's saying is that God won't pour out his wrath on the believers. And he won't because Jesus takes that cup of wrath. And so in this book, he talks about this, this very scripture. And what he says is there's silence in heaven for a half an hour because God's about to pour out his wrath. And he doesn't want to. God has to be just. He has to be a just God. And there has to be a punishment for sin because he said there would be. And so he has to be a God of his word. And there comes a time when the wrath of God is poured out on humanity. We read it in Revelation. It's in, uh, it's in chapter 11 or 12, or it's all through it if you read it. It's, it's just because I believe it kind of repeats a little bit. It talks about uh, treading out the great press, right, of those who have lived sinful lives and the blood flowed. And it talks about uh, the, the, the seven bowls, right? There's seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls in Revelation. The seven bowls are poured out on on the depravity of humanity, not upon us, the church. And so the, the pre-wrath rapture says we're taking out of the earth before God pours out his wrath upon the earth, which I absolutely 100% believe. I don't believe it any other way. I don't believe it could be any other way. But this scripture is right before, this is the seventh seal, and after the seventh seal, we're about to go into the seventh trumpets. And after the seven trumpets come the seven bowls, and that's when God pours out his wrath. Go back and read it through again. But it, just get a picture of this, if you will. There's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Take the scroll. Worthy is the lamb to open the seals by your blood. They're, right? All this song, 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 opens up the seventh seal. Silence. It's as if at a moment of time in heaven, God is supposed to take action, and he's supposed to do something, and all of heaven knows it, but God doesn't want to, and so he waits, and there's silence for half an hour, because God desires that all men be saved and none perish. All men be saved and none perish. God's heart wants for everyone, everyone, everyone to be saved. But we know from the Gospels that that can't happen. Only those who receive Jesus. And so there's God's heart breaks for the fact, for the very fact that he has to pour out wrath, that he has to be shown just. He's made a way of escape. It's Jesus. But there's those who won't accept him. And God's got to pour out his wrath on the ungodly, on those who have cursed his name. And he doesn't want to. 
He will, but he waits. And so I just, man, this is one of the most powerful scriptures in, in, all of, in all of Revelation. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. There's never been silence in heaven. I don't believe this, script, I don't believe this portion of scripture has happened yet. I don't believe that there's been silence in heaven for a half an hour yet. I believe that after we see this silence, I believe uh, with, I don't know if it's the first trumpet or the first bowl, there's a severe earthquake such as there has never been before, and, think, right? and I don't think we've had that earthquake yet. I don't think that this portion of text where there's silence in heaven for half an hour has happened yet. It's coming. It could be very soon. But again, it just goes back to reveal more of who God is. He's a God of justice, and he will pour out his wrath, but he's a God of mercy, and he doesn't want to. Jesus. Revelation 22, 16 and 17, I, Jesus, have sent my holy angel to... This is almost the end of the book, uh, the end of the Bible, the end of Revelation, but the end of the Bible. There's no book after Revelation. I, Jesus, have sent my, my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. The spirit and the bride say, come. We as the church, we are the bride of Christ. We the church are the bride of Christ. And it should be our mission and it should be our mandate to say, come. And it should be our mission and it should be our mandate to do everything within our power to hasten the day of the Lord. It should be our mission and it should be our mandate to hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. And so how do we do that? We do that by preaching the gospel to every creature that we see. We do that by bringing the word of God to the least, the last, and the lost because God's heart breaks for the unsaved. And our heart needs to break for the unsaved, for people that don't know Christ, the same way that God's heart breaks. The same way that he's silent in a half an hour. I don't know. Maybe he's up there in heaven waiting in silence, knowing that it's his time to pour out wrath because maybe, maybe just one more will get saved. Maybe, maybe just one more won't have to suffer my wrath. Come, Lord Jesus. Church, let us, be, let us be a people that do everything that we can to hasten the day of the Lord. Listen, you've got friends, you've got family, you've got neighbors that don't know Christ. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them that there's a day coming. They're sure to believe you now more than ever. I mean, just turn around, look at the world, and anybody would be convinced that it's the end of the world. Just tell them, hey, listen, man, do you know Jesus? Jesus is coming back soon. You're not lying. He could come back in 100 years. It's still soon compared to the 2,000 years we've been waiting. Jesus is coming back soon. Today is the day of salvation. You don't got to start quoting anything. Just, just, just start talking about Jesus. Are you stressed? No, I'm not stressed. I trust in Jesus. You know, if I die, I'm going to heaven. I win. You can't beat me. You can only persecute my flesh. My spirit will live with Jesus forever. I'd rather be, Paul says, I'd rather be absent from the body. It's to be present with the Lord. That's where I'd rather be. Do we as Christians believe this scripture? Come on. Is it a scripture that we know it's in our back pocket or is it a scripture that we tape across our chest and across our eyes and across our mind? 
Do we see everything through the light and the lens of eternity? Because if we begin to see things through the lens of eternity, the things of this world grow strangely dim. When we look forward to heaven more than we look forward to breakfast tomorrow, we will live differently. Jesus come, the Spirit and the Bride, the Holy Spirit, prays with us, the church. The Holy Spirit, there's no lack on God's part. The Holy Spirit is praying, come Lord Jesus. We can be assured there has never been a lack on God's part. And so let us as the church rise up and pray, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Do what you have to do. Shake everything that must be shaken. Do it, Lord Jesus. Jesus, shake it. Shake it. Shake it, to, shake it till nothing else can be shaken. If you're here today and you hear me talking about this relationship with Jesus, you hear me talking about end times, you hear me talking about the end of the world as we know it, and you don't know Jesus, I'd like to pray a prayer. And I'd like you to pray it with me if you want to know him. And it goes like this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I deserve that cup of wrath. But Jesus, through the cross that you died on, you took that cup of wrath for me so that I could be in heaven and not suffer the consequences of sin. I thank you for that, and I give you praise and glory. I pray that you would help me to live for you all of the days of my life. God, that I would put you first and that you would help me to live for you in everything I do. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, then you just became a Christian. That was an introduction to Jesus. And so if you're here with us, I'd like for you to mark, if that's you, then I'd like for you to mark on your card, today I follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. And there's also a spot there for recommitting to Jesus after walking away. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that you've just been, haven't come to church in a couple weeks. That means that you, were, you, were, you once lived for Jesus, you once prayed this prayer, and then you stopped. And now you're, you want to live for Jesus again. That's recommitment. And so if that's you, check that box. I'm going to send you something in the mail uh, just to give you the next steps of what you should do and where you should go from here. And so as we, as we end today, understand that it's, end times is a real thing. We can study it. We can know it. But what's really important is that we engage with God we are engaged, right? There's going to be a wedding, so I'm engaged, right? You guys all understand the idea of a proposal, right? Will you marry me, right? Jesus is saying, will you marry me? We say yes when we accept Christ. We say yes. Yes, Jesus, I'll marry you. And so we're engaged. We've engaged God. Engaged God. We're engaged. There's going to be a wedding. It's <laughs> good. I love it. Run after him. Recommit. Go hard. Do it. Pray. Seek him. We are well able at once to go up and take the land because the Holy Spirit and power is upon us. Don't shrink back. Don't be afraid. Run after him. Speak the truth in boldness. Amen? Amen. Come and receive the offering this morning.